good to be uh, together today, and uh, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of that book as we start a summer series uh, in the book of Philippians, probably 10, 11 messages, something like that, uh, that will go through it. You know, it was a few months before moving here, Kirsten and I and our three kids moved here uh, right at the end of 2012, and it was, I can't remember when, but a few months before uh, moving here, a friend and I had uh, challenged one another to memorize the book of Philippians. And so our, in doing that, we got together usually over Mexican food and would recite however much we had done until we got to the point that we could recite uh, the whole book uh, to one another. Uh, and in one of the gifts of Bible memory, some of you are like, well, I don't have that gift. It's something you work on. Like, it doesn't just come. Like, you have to work at it. Uh, and, and one of the things that that does, like, if you're going to have something come out of your mouth, like, uh, through your lips and off of your tongue, it first has to, you have to figure out some way to kind of get it into your head. And so there's different tactics you can use to try to memorize God's Word. And so I used some of those so that I could have it come out of my mouth, it had to get into my head. But the other thing that happens with the Word of God, if you have the right posture before Him, is as His Word comes into your head and you have to go over it again and again and again to try to memorize it, it sinks down into your heart. And has done that for me. As, as I have gone back again and again, I probably couldn't uh, go off from the beginning to the end uh, with you right now out of memory, but God has used it over time to shape and mold my heart in some pretty significant ways. And so I'm very grateful for this book of the Bible. I've never preached it before. I've preached a message here and there out of it, but never preached through the whole thing. So I'm really looking forward uh, to doing that together uh, this summer. We're going to spend a lot of time today kind of getting the background of the book, because it is a letter written from Paul to the church in Philippi, and we're not Paul or the church in Philippi, and it's good for us to understand the context in order for us to understand the letter. But this letter has all sorts of relevance for us today, because I don't doubt that there's some of us sitting in here today who feel like really kind of spiritually right now we're in a rut. Well, like if we're looking at kind of how, how our life with Jesus has gone, it feels like I'm not making a lot of progress. I'm not really growing up and maturing the way I would like. Well, Philippians addresses that. At a time when so many things are vying for our attention, we need to be taken back again and again to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the book of Philippians does that. And at a time when a lot of people are suffering, Chris mentioned that earlier during the welcome and announcements. People are facing death. People are dealing with conflict. We need to be reminded, don't we, to be content and to rejoice in the Lord always. And that's what the book of Philippians does. So I think you're going to find that this book is incredibly relevant. Today, we're going to look at the first 11 verses. The message title is just Gospel Partners. Uh, and when you think of partners, I, I often think of, you remember in school, and some of you don't have to remember that long ago because it was like last week, uh, you were still in school, right? And in school, when the teacher says, uh, for this project or this assignment, I'm going to have you with a partner. Some of you are like, yes, because then I don't have to do the work. My partner is going to do the work. And others of you are like, oh, no. It's going to be all on me, depending on the partner you get put with, right? For me, it depended on the kind of work it was. Like if it was, if it was a, a work, an assignment, or a project 
where it was kind of focused on words, then I knew the person I was a partner with was going to look to me, and I was going to have to be the one writing the words and communicating the words to the class. But if it was one of those projects, like, here, take some toothpicks and popsicle sticks and tape and marshmallows and make a bridge, like, here, you do that, and I'll be your partner. I don't know how to do that kind of stuff. Or dissecting a cat. I remember uh, when we did that. It's kind of like, hey, partner, you want to take care of this part right here? Um, that would be great, right? Partnerships are, are good, and it seems like we could add the qualifier to that sometimes, Right? That, that it seems good to not always do things alone, but to have a partner. I've missed, so Kirsten and the kids went away to Minnesota on Friday, and I'm going to join them uh, after the worship service here today. And I miss them. I miss having just a partner to do everything uh, together with. That's a good gift of God to me. And partners are good. But when partners are picked for you, sometimes it works out great, and sometimes it's a challenge. But what we're going to see in the book of Philippians, and especially in these opening verses, is that Paul and the church in Philippi see one another as partners, and they're very, very grateful to God that God has made them partners. That the work that God has called Paul to do, and the work that God has called the church in Philippi to do, require them to be partners with one another. So, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And here's the deal. Just, I'm going to get way more into background here in a little bit, but we need to know this before we even read it. Paul knew many of them here in the church. He loved them very much. And you also need to know that Paul was now facing some challenges as he served as a missionary in a different place. And so today, rather than all of us standing and me reading Philippians 1, 1 through 11, Someone who knows many of us, someone who loves us very much, and someone who is now facing challenges as a missionary in a different place is just going to be reading Philippians 1, 1 to 11 for us from Romania. Uh, Mandy's just going to read it. So if you have a Bible with you, the words aren't going to be on the screen. Mandy will be on the screen, and you will uh, be looking at Philippians 1, 1 through 11 in your Bible. Good morning, church. My name is Mandy Roger, and I'm one of the missionaries that you all at Iowa Falls E3 have supported for a number of years now. I'm excited this morning to get a chance to read to you from God's Word as you guys begin your study in Philippians. So we'll be reading from chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. 
Amen. So inside your bulletin, there is again just a sermon notes page. We're going to spend quite a bit of time just on those first two verses, but really uh, not so much looking at the first two verses. We're going to look at the basic information there, but then kind of uh, to try to understand the story behind the letter, okay? Because this isn't just like a, a letter dropped out of heaven for us right here today in 2021 in Iowa Falls. This is a letter written from Paul, inspired every word of it by the Holy Spirit. Actually, it says in verse 1 there, it's from Paul and Timothy, right? And it's written to a people that they've had a relationship with over time. And we need to understand a bit of that relationship if we're going to understand this letter well. Here's the background. I forgot to mention, I did in the 9 o'clock service last week, but I forgot to mention here just an encouragement for you to read Acts chapter 16. Maybe you just happen to have read Acts chapter 16 in this past week anyway. But if you would go to Acts chapter 16, you don't have to go there now, but you would find the story of how the first converts came to be there in Philippi. And you would find this, that the church in Philippi is the first church of Jesus Christ planted on the continent of Europe. Okay, And it was planted there as Paul and Silas and Timothy traveled together to Philippi, and they first met with Lydia and some others. And Lydia, what we can tell from the work that she does and the place that she's at and where she came from, is that most likely Lydia was a wealthy Asian businesswoman staying for a time in Europe. And so Paul shares the gospel with her, She believes the gospel and becomes her and many in her household there. And they become the first believers there in Philippi. Now, when you're planting a church, you usually think uh, long and hard and strategically about the core team that you're going to use to plant the church. Listen to this core team that the church in Philippi gets planted with. Uh, A wealthy Asian businesswoman. And then the next convert uh, after her household seems to be this, this slave girl who was possessed by a demon. And then the jailer who held uh, Paul and Silas in jail while they were there in Philippi. That's kind of like the church planting team that Paul puts around himself to plant this church in Philippi. You notice jailer, uh, I, I did forget to mention that Paul and Silas, part of their experience in Philippi was not just preaching the gospel, seeing people saved and gathering together a church there. Part of their experience also was being thrown into jail. And you might remember the story, uh, and if you actually kind of read through uh, some of the background of, of what's happening while they're in jail, it says there in, in the, our translation that they were put in stocks. If you read what those were like, they were being tortured while they were in jail. So they're in jail being tortured, and you remember they were singing hymns to God, right? They started singing hymns to God, God sends an earthquake, they're released, and actually the jailer himself is one of the first converts there in Philippi. And so they're t- then they're asked to leave town. So they only spent a short period of time there. Now, this letter is written 10 years later. Okay, So that happens in about the year 51 A.D. Now it's about the year 62 A.D. Okay, And Paul is writing a letter to them. But it's not that he left and never came back and never, never had any sort of association with them. He left, 
and went on a number of other journeys as a missionary, but there was always communication, it seemed, between them because they saw themselves as partners in the gospel work that God had called Paul to do. And Paul also, likewise, saw them as partners. So Paul goes on another missionary journey, uh, goes to many other cities on what we call his second missionary journey, but the believers in Philippi the whole time keep supporting him. He's got a need, they're going to try to meet it if they can. And on the third missionary journey, Paul was mostly kind of dealing with this Judaizing conflict, and he was trying to take a gift from all of these believers uh, north of Jerusalem and Judea, and he was trying to take a gift from them down to their brothers and sisters in Christ in Judea and Jerusalem. And at that time, the church in Philippi was going through a rough time financially, yet they also, like others, insisted on giving and, and partnering in the gospel work with Paul and with other believers. By the time Paul writes this letter, he is imprisoned in Rome. So Paul, writing this letter as a prisoner, facing some tough times on his own as he writes this letter to them, encouraging them to press on in gospel ministry, in the face of adversity, to live in humility, to mature in their faith, to keep rejoicing in Jesus. That's what Paul is going to be sharing with them. It would be a couple years after this letter that Paul would be executed. Now, in many ways, the book of Philippians is like a lot of other letters we see in the New Testament. It is written by Paul. Many of his letters, some of his letters are written to individuals like Timothy. Some are written to churches that seem to be falling apart. Some are to churches that he's never personally been with. But Philippians, I think, is one of the most personal letters that Paul writes to a church. He loves them, and they love him, and they see themselves as partners in the gospel. And so I'm looking forward to looking at this over the next few weeks. So let's go ahead and just look at verses 3 to 11 uh, and get a little more of an introduction to the book and a a glimpse at the relationship that they share with one another. So we're in Philippians 1 verses 3 through 11. Really, uh, I just kind of called it all praying for gospel partners. And the first thing I think we see in verses 3 and 4 is how Paul prays. Okay, how Paul prays. Look at verse 3. It says, I thank my God of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. So how does Paul pray? Well, as he remembers them, he prays for them with thanksgiving. Remember, it's been a while since Paul met with these people, but when he remembers them, he prays for them. I hope we do this too. That as God brings people to mind, even if it's people we haven't had much contact with for a time, that God brings them to mind. Like, I wonder why they just popped into my mind. Just pray for them, right? When Paul remembers them, he prays for them with thanksgiving and with joy. Notice that in verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul doesn't have like this long prayer checklist. And he's like, seriously, I'm so busy making tents and being a missionary, and now i got to pray for all these different churches that I've been with? No. He's making his prayer with joy. It's a joyful thing for Paul to come into the presence of God in the name of Jesus and lift up these gospel partners in prayer. Quick point of application. Let's ask God to make us like that, that we would be more faithful 
in praying for our gospel partners with thanksgiving and joy. When I do pray for you, church, I do pray with lots of thanksgiving. I am so grateful, and it gives me much joy to be a part of the body of Christ. But I need to pray for you more, right? That, that, that more and more I would pray with thanksgiving. That more and more we together as a church would pray for one another, seeing one another like Paul and Timothy saw the church in Philippi. Hey, we're just, we're just doing the same work in different places. We're gospel partners. God's given you a different job and a different family and a different place to live than me. But we're all together partners in the work of the gospel. And we ought to be praying for one another with thanksgiving and with joy. That's how Paul prays for the church in Philippi. And then I think we get why he prays. Why does Paul pray for the church in Philippi? Well, verse 5 starts with the word, because. He's praying for them with thanksgiving and joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This is a beautiful thing. From the day that Paul first met Lydia and shared the gospel with her until now, ten or so years later, ten years filled with conversions and growth and beatings and suffering, Paul the Apostle... Right? Paul the Apostle, author of all sorts of New Testament books and stuff like that, he looks at this kind of ragtag group of believers there in Philippi and refers that to them once again as partners. Paul also prays, I think, because he's confident in God's work. He's not confident in his work. He doesn't say this. Look at verse 6. Our memory verse for this week is not this. And what I did for those weeks I was with you was really good and you're going to be just fine. Right? Uh, He doesn't say, and I am sure of this, that because I left Luke the doctor to be with you and lead you for a time, I'm sure you're going to be fine. He wrote some books in the Bible too. You're good. No, where's Paul's confidence? Look at verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Paul was a part of that work that God began, but ultimately Paul recognizes That salvation from beginning to end is the work of God. And he who began a good work in you, church, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's where Paul's confidence is. And that's why he goes before God in prayer for the Philippians. He prays because he's confident in God's work. And he also prays because he really, really loves them. Right? You do that, don't you? You pray for people that you love. And Paul, he really, really loves the church in Philippians. Did you notice that as Mandy read verses 7 to 8? I mean, Paul's getting kind of gushy here. He's talking about his feelings quite a bit in verses 7 and 8 when he's talking about the church in Philippi. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. And then he said, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. This is what's binding them together. If they've together received and partake in, continue to receive the grace of God. He mentions both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And then he says this, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I yearn for you all. With the affection of Christ Jesus. 
church, I think there's some application for us in this. And I want to I want to talk to the whole church, but I want to talk specifically to parents here for a second first. We need to keep in mind, Paul was a single guy, okay? He would pour himself into and love people in one place, and then God would call him to go to another place. That certainly had to be painful, but he had to learn over time to trust that this work, I'm going to pour everything I can into them for this period of time, but then I'm going to leave. And it's up to God to really do the work that needs to be done. And as I read that this week and thought about what that must have been like for Paul, then I thought about just my role and the role many of you share as a parent. Right? That our kids keep getting older. Like another school year ended this last week, and that reminds me and reminds us, like, man, time goes really, really fast. Right? We're only going to have one kid left in elementary school now next year. We've got one in the middle school and one in the high school. Like, they were just born. I remember that. I was there, and it just happened. Right? And it goes super, super fast. And like Paul with all of these churches, he often looked at many of them as like his spiritual children. We have this opportunity, parents, for a short amount of time to pour whatever we can into them. Let's not, let's not waste these times that God has given us with our children. Let's pray for them as gospel partners. Let's talk to them about Jesus. Let's encourage them to press on. But in the end, we pray for them, not with confidence, like, oh, God, I pray that everything I'm doing is, you know, is working out perfectly. You know it's not. You're messed up, right? So am I. And I'm passing a lot of that on to my kids. And that's scary. So you know where my hope is as a parent? Not in Jeremy and Kirsten getting it right, but that he who began a good work in them will bring it to, the day of com- bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ, Right? That's where our hope is, and and it's in that kind of light that we pray for our kids and labor for our kids and let our kids know, like Paul does for the church, I really love you. Like, if that wasn't the kind of family that you grew up in, make your family now that kind of family that that isn't afraid to just boldly say, with affection, I love you, right? And that's not only what we do as parents, that's what we ought to do as a church, As a church, we recognize we're missions partners together. You might not have picked that partner, right? But God has put us together in this same church to be partners in the mission that God has given to us. And we ought to love one another well. Because listen, just think think about the world in Philippi. The believers there, they were in the minority. It was not easy to be a believer in Philippi. And it's not easy to be a believer here. It's a lot easier for us than it is for them, I think. We complain and whine a lot, but it's really a lot easier for us. But we live in a world where people are used and abused. People are beat up and worn down. People are weary, aren't they? So many people in our world around us feel unnoticed, anxious, insecure. What if the church, though, was the place where people knew that they were loved. Remember a few years ago, I was telling them, and I thought I was sending a text to Kirsten saying, I love you, the whole church. You remember that? And I was a little bit embarrassed at first. I was like, <laughs> whoops. 
could have said many other things. So thankfully, it was just, I love you, right? Uh, Send that out to the whole church. I was a little embarrassed, and I was like, wait, why am I embarrassed? I do. I love you. And that's what Paul's doing here in verses 7 and 8. He's telling the church, like, with the affection of Christ Jesus, I yearn for you. I just want to be with you. Right? Kirsten's been gone since Friday. I can't wait to see her when I get up to Minnesota later this afternoon. Like, I just, I want to want to be with you. That's the way Paul's talking to the church. That's the way the church should talk to one another. And as, as a number of people came in uh, on that Sunday morning, people, hey, I love you too, uh, <laughs> was what I heard from many of you. That's great. I've got some Christian friends. That's the way they talk to each other. And at first it was really awkward for me to have another guy just say, hey, I love you. It's like, well, why is that awkward? We do, right? I love you. Love you, church. That's what Paul is talking, saying to the church in Philippi. He wishes he could be there doing it in person, but he's got to send it through a letter. Let's express our love for one another. And, and let's also keep in mind we need to love and pray for our global and local missions partners. Many of them are separated from family. Mandy's family lives in Sheldon, Right? She lives in Romania. That's a, that's a long distance. Like, she's not going there for the weekend. Right? That's a challenge. Many of them facing tough times. Cindy. We should pray for them like we did, you know, it was a couple weeks ago. We sent out a message every week. Here's ways to pray for our missions partners. Continue to pray for them and express your love to them in some way. love how Paul leaves us an example of that here. So we've seen how he prays, why he prays, and then let's look at verses 9 through 11 and see what he prays. Verses 9 through 11, it says this, and it is my prayer. So now he's going to just say, here's what I pray. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Again, Christians in Philippi, they're the minority. The rest of the people around them, they don't think like they think and they don't behave like they behave. And this could be a good breeding ground for division and deception. So when Paul prays for them there in Philippi, he prays that here's a way that they would stand out, that they would love each other. But notice that he doesn't just pray that you would love one another. He prays that their love would, what? Abound more and more, right? He wants them to to love one another extravagantly. That their love for one another, their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Right? So it's not the kind of love that's like, well, we love so anything goes. Right? Love is, that's not it. No, no. Love with knowledge and discernment. This is what Paul is praying for the church in Philippi. Not just that they would be kind of nice to each other and say nice things when they get together on Sunday mornings, but that they'd be radically selfless in their love for one another that they would have knowledge and discernment being able to distinguish what's good and bad what's what's true and what's false and then his prayer which i've mentioned many times i think one thing i love about scripture is is that so often when somebody's talking about how they're praying they include the so that see that there in verse 10 He's praying that their love would abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. But then there's a so that there in verse 10. So that, and here's what he's praying for them uh, for the present. So that you may approve what is excellent. 
So that, so that all these other things that might be good and okay, some of them just outright wrong, that, that as you grow in your love and knowledge and discernment, that you would start to approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He's looking also to the future. Knowing that these people, messed up just like he is, will one day stand before Jesus, pure and blameless. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Right? There, there's where we get kind of a hint of the gospel here. We tried to make the gospel clear in our singing today and in communion today. Here's where we get just a hint of it here in this passage. If the church in Philippi, if the church in Iowa Falls is going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, it's not going to be because we just are doing a really good job a lot better than other people. Where does the fruit of righteousness come? Our righteousness comes alone, which comes through Jesus Christ. And then the ultimate so that, I think this is probably the ultimate so that of every prayer that we have. What, do we, what does Paul want more than anything else? He wants their love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so they can approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. But ultimately, what does he want? To the glory and praise of God. Why, why, does, why does God want his church to love one another and pray for one another and be partners together? Why does God want that? It's ultimately for his glory. It's not just to make our lives happier, although it actually does. Right? But ultimately, God desires all that. Paul desires all this for the church in Philippi so that God would be glorified. Application point to close. Do you ever feel like as you pray, you kind of feel like you're in a rut? Like you just kind of keep praying the same thing? Or maybe you, maybe it's like, it's like your mind wanders while you pray. So you start praying, like, here, I'm going to pray now. And then pretty soon you're thinking about lunch again, right? Uh, or, or whatever it might be. Or like just the most random stuff comes into your mind. One thing that's been, that's me. Uh, and so one thing that, that has been helpful for me, a couple things. One is praying out loud. That helps. Uh, Pastor Stan always used to do that in his office. And I, and I mean loud when I say out loud. Uh, and, and I'm grateful for that example. Uh, but one other thing that's been helpful for me is just praying through Scripture, right? Uh, and so when, when I just see here, well, here's how Paul is praying for the church in Philippi. Maybe that's how I should pray. <laughs> Maybe I don't have to, like, just sit there and close my eyes and try not to let my mind wander and make up. What it, like, well, how about I pray that for the church? So it might be for an individual, like, oh, God just laid this person on my heart. So with thanksgiving and joy, I'm going to come before God, confident that he's the one who's going to do the work and bring it to completion, and I'm going to pray this for them. Right? So that's the way I'm going to close today, uh, just by praying for you uh, and just kind of using uh, verses 9 through 11 as my guide for prayer. And then as I'm praying, the worship team is going to come up, and we're going to sing a song about the very true and very good reality that Jesus is coming again. And we long for that, right? So let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you that you began a good work in us. 
that, that in the church as a whole, it started in like 1983, but for some people, believers only for a few months maybe. For other people, believers for many years, but God, we come to you with great confidence, not in ourselves and not in somebody who taught us something one time, not with confidence in myself, but God, with confidence that you who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so God, I pray that this church might have love for one another that abounds more and more in the midst of a world where people feel unloved and unnoticed, that we would be a different sort of people who, though we might have differences with one another, love in our church may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. God, help us to be wise as we navigate this world and have so many things coming at us. Help us to know what is true and what is good and help us to reject what is evil and what is a lie, even if the lie comes really subtly and attractively. God, I pray that we would be a church that approves what is excellent. Not being satisfied with with all sorts of things that the world is satisfied with, but approving what is excellent and so being pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. God, we, we know that we can't make ourselves pure and blameless. We can't fill ourselves with the fruit of righteousness. We know that only comes through Jesus. So God, I thank you for the work that Christ has done, that we've gotten to sing about and remember in communion here today. And I pray that all those who are seeking to be righteous on their own would, would recognize that today, that they, they will not stand pure and blameless before you unless their faith and hope is in Jesus alone. And God, we just lift all this up, grateful that it is your desire that you would be glorified above all else. So I pray that as we learn to love one another as a church, as we pray for one another and partner together in gospel ministry, that all of it would be done in a way that brings glory and praise to you, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.